week we talked about um, Jesus of Nazareth and Jesus as a teacher. And of course, part of his teaching, we talked about he taught in parables quite a bit. But the core of his teaching was about inclusiveness. And we'll discover today that the greatest message in his teaching is teaching of the kingdom of God. And so let's talk about that. When the, when the gospel of Mark begins, uh, really in chapter 1, moving into about verse 14, after John the Baptist uh, comes on the scene, the first words that Jesus says in the gospel of Mark, he, so the, the gospel of Mark opens with Jesus saying, the time is fulfilled, the reign of God is at hand. Uh, the announcement of Jesus concerns the reign of God. Uh, the God who as the creator, the upholder, the consummator of all that is, the God of the universe, the reign of the sovereignty of God over everything. So he comes in saying, the reign of God is at hand. These are powerful words. We haven't heard from a prophet in over 400 years. Then we hear from John the Baptist. And people who are hearing Jesus speak are hearing, it's like the wind blowing in their face. The, the reign of the sovereignty of God is, is at hand. So we, we're discovering right off the bat that Jesus' message from the beginning to end is going to be about the kingdom of God. And there is a vast scholarly census that Jesus is preaching and his message was not, as we, we sometimes think of it, uh, centered on our personal ethics or on guidance on how to live our lives. Though all of that is very important and there's elements of that there. It was not focused on how to be successful. Uh, you know, sometimes as Christians, we, or we hear the messages, you know, even, even though, or how to be happy, uh, even though there's an entire cottage industry of books that say otherwise, that if you're a Christian, that you're supposed to be rich, or that you're never going to have anything go wrong in your life, and that your world will be uh, total bliss. And if that were the case, I don't think Jesus would have lived the life that he did. You know, he didn't have total bliss all of the time. But how do we have this, this joy? Um, so his message wasn't about how to be happy, how to be successful. Um, rather, his teaching was centered on, really, as you see the opening of the Gospel of Mark, on one key phrase that Jesus used over and over again. Uh, and as he spoke in Aramaic, the Aramaic phrase that Jesus used was Malkuta dis emaya, which has been translated into English in a variety of ways, but it could mean the dominion of God or the sovereignty of God, the rule of God, the reign of God, all of these really can be interchangeable. Dominion, sovereignty, rule, reign, or as almost all of our contemporary Bibles translate it, the kingdom of God. So this was what his main message was about. And this translation can be a little misleading because in English, kingdom, if we think of a kingdom, we think of a particular place or location, right? My daughter went to school in the kingdom of Fife in Scotland. So that was a geographic place in time. Um, and this is not implied in the term, of course, that Jesus used, which is why some translators prefer to use the word sovereignty or rule or reign. The kingdom of God is more about the activity of God. What is God doing in the world? How is God breaking into history and working in the world? 
it's more about that than a location where the kingdom of God happens, though the kingdom of God happens among us all. The kingdom and the breaking in of the kingdom into the world is, of course, the central organizing theme of Jesus' teaching and ministry. And we see this, of course. We're going we're to look at Mark a lot today. Uh, again, these are Jesus' first words. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, and so before we move on to there, I want to kind of back up again. As Christians, when we think about the good news, we are, lo- we are thinking of, we are, we are living, of course, in a post-resurrection world, right? The resurrection has come. So when we talk about the good news of God, what do we typically think of when we think of good news? Salvation? What else? Eternal life? The resurrection. Yeah, so Jesus, so if we're talking about, here's the good news, right? Or if we go back to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I know Walt uses that, uh, um, that scripture a lot, that I, I tell you what was passed on to me, or I pass on to you what was told to me, that Jesus, he lived, he died, and he was raised on the third day for the forgiveness of our sins. And so the good news, as we think about it, is that Jesus was raised from the dead, and, we, and he's the first fruits of the resurrection, and we can live resurrection lives, right? Well, when Jesus comes, though, proclaiming the good news, none of this has happened yet, or some of it's, ha- it's about to happen, but when he's proclaiming the good news, the good news of God, what is the good news of God? When Jesus is talking about that, the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. So this message is pretty surprising because it's totally new and it's unprecedented. Um, The term kingdom of God is almost non-existent in uh, Judaism prior to the time of Jesus. It's entirely missing in the Hebrew Bible. Nowhere will you see the, the term kingdom of God. Now you will hear about God as king, but you don't hear about this coming of the kingdom of God. There's not a single reference to it in our Old Testament. It's not found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, It occurs only once in the Apocrypha, and that is in the Wisdom of Solomon, which was written, some folks think, maybe as early as 30 B.C. So this is really close to around the time of Jesus. So around 30 B.C., in the Wisdom of Solomon, beginning with chapter 10, we hear these words. When a righteous man fled from his brother's wrath, she, meaning... um, uh, Lady Wisdom, the wisdom of God, was, was said as a she. Um, she guided him in straight paths. She showed him the kingdom of God and gave him knowledge of holy things. So there's this implication that the kingdom of God has something to do about being guided on straight paths, um, showing the kingdom of God, and seeing things that are holy and righteous. So the phrase, the kingdom of God, is found only one other time. So we've got once in the Apocrypha and one other time in all of ancient Jewish literature, and that is in the Psalm of Solomon, the Psalms of Solomon, which were a first century, uh, are written around the first century B.C. And so we find in the Psalms of Solomon 17.4, and the kingdom of our God is forever over the nations in judgment. So the term kingdom of God is almost, since it's in, almost entirely missing in Judaism, it's also rare to, 
find it in early Christianity. Uh, the Apostle Paul almost never uses the term. It's not part of the Gospel of John at all. John doesn't mention the kingdom of God. And it's missing in many of the New Testament books. So what we find is that the further we get away from, from Jesus and Jesus' teachings, so in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we have Jesus coming and teaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God. But the further we get away from that on either side, whether before or after, uh, we find less of the terminology. And so this means that the term kingdom of God, and this is why this is so important as we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth and the historical Jesus, is that the term kingdom of God is not a part of Judaism prior to Jesus, and it does not play a significant role in early Christianity after Jesus in terms of the writings. So it seems to be very unique to the historical Jesus. So we really do think that these are words that Jesus that Jesus used. And it dominates his preaching and his teaching message. He uses the term uh, kingdom of God over 125 times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And that's the whole reference. But if you add on or factor in where Jesus just refers to the kingdom... That takes us up to over 200 references. That is a lot. 200 references to the kingdom of God. So it's, that is really a driving and central message for him. And so to understand Jesus' message and what it was about, then we kind of need to understand what did he mean when he talked about the kingdom of God. Now, the idea of, of God reigning as a king is not anything new. We've all, we are all familiar with that, right? And so were the people of Israel. Um, it was not new or unique to Jesus, and it was, of course, part of the core of Israel's faith. And this is particularly prevalent, we see, in the Psalms. And so we'll look at Psalm 99. The Lord is king. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. We also know... Of course, that um, when the early kings of Israel are anointed, uh, King Saul is the first king, then David and Solomon, God isn't pleased to do this. I mean, the people come to him and say, we want a king like everybody else, you know, wah, we want our own king, we want a real king, and he says, but I'm your king, but we want, we want, you know, we want one that, that has a, a real kingdom. And so God relents and says, okay, well, I'll give you your king, but get ready because they're not going to be like me. Um, and so we see the Lord as king over God's people um, from the Psalms and, of course, from the earliest uh, true kings of Israel. But even before that, the idea of God reigning as king goes back to the oldest Hebrew traditions, um, to the Exodus story itself. And from there... We see in Exodus, you know, Moses is leading the Israelites. He's led them out of captivity, and they get to the other side of the Red Sea. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. Those are Pharaoh's guys. In your steadfast love, you led the people whom you redeemed. You guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The Lord will reign forever and ever. So this is, again, a message of God's sovereignty over the, the greatest king of the time, right? Pharaoh. So we see God's sovereignty over other kings in this reading. So the idea of God being 
the king of Israel isn't something new, but the proclamation of the coming of the kingdom of God and the announcing of its coming uh, is unique to Jesus. To announce the coming of God's kingdom is to announce that God, God's self, is coming um, to set things right. Now, we have seen God breaking into history in pockets, right? Like with uh, Moses leading the um, Israelites out of Egypt, what we just saw. So God is king, has, uh, with God's power, has used other people and broken into history. And we've seen uh, God's sovereignty overruling some things. But this is totally different. This is announcing that God is coming to set things right once and for all. And so bringing in the kingdom is something that God does. It's not us, although we uh, have a response. Nowhere does Jesus ask his disciples to build the kingdom. Uh, the bringing of the king kingdom is something that only God can do. But we do have a response. As we've read in Mark, after John the Baptist is on the scene, again, these are Jesus' first words. As he, he says, um, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom, of his, uh, the kingdom of God has come near. And his next words are, these are, sound like they're right out of John the Baptist's mouth, but Jesus' words are, repent and believe in the good news. So, repent and believe in the good news. He's already said the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. We're going to turn around and align ourselves with the good news of what? The kingdom of God. Good answer, good answer. We're going to align ourselves with the good news. What's the good news is of the kingdom of God. Align ourselves with the good news of the kingdom of God. So we, we don't bring in the kingdom, but we have an invitation to the kingdom. We can walk side by side in the kingdom, and we're asked to align ourselves in what God is doing and bringing the kingdom into the world. So the kingdom is present, Jesus would say, here and now, right? Jesus will speak of what, is, is, will speak of what God's going to do in the future um, and of what will happen in the future, but when he speaks of the kingdom, Jesus speaks in present tense um, or in the immediate future. According to Jesus, the kingdom is in the process of breaking in and is somehow already present among us, and he inaugurates that kingdom. It's Jesus' presence that is inaugurating the kingdom of God. Again, this is Mark. We're going to just read it one more time. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God has come near. So the word translated near, the kingdom of God is near, in Gizo, literally means is at hand, or it could also just as easily be translated as God, the kingdom of God is here. So the, God, the kingdom of God is near, it's at hand, it's here, it's sort of this all-inclusive word. And this is exciting stuff, isn't it? This would be consistent with other statements by Jesus. Uh, we see in Luke chapter 17. Once Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God was coming. And so there is this hope among God's people that one day God will break into history fine for, fi for once and for all. 
and the world will be set right, that, that things will be as they should be, as they are, as we pray, uh, the kingdom come, as they are in heaven, as they are in God's realm in heaven, so the, the world will be that way too. So the Pharisees are asking, when, when is the kingdom of God coming? And Jesus answers, the kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is among you. What he's implying and what we hear him say in other, other places is that if I'm here, the kingdom of God is here. And what do you think that that, what do you think that, that statement did to the Pharisees? They loved it. That's sort of like, if, if only God can bring in the kingdom, and if the kingdom of God is among you, and I, it's near with me, that is, that is a statement that's going to rankle a lot of folks. Um, then in Luke 19, 9, Jesus is talking to Zacchaeus, and he says to him, this is just showing how the kingdom of God is now. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Remember his encounter with Zacchaeus, and he says, I'm going to come to your house today. Today, salvation has come to this house. The kingdom is there. The kingdom of God is not only present now, it's present in Jesus, and it's present in Jesus' teaching, and he repeatedly links the kingdom to himself. So somehow the kingdom of God is being made manifest in the person of Jesus, in his ministry, uh, in his teaching, in his healing, Right? In, all of the, in all of the things that Jesus is doing, it's showing the, the presence of the kingdom of God. So if we have an encounter of Je with Jesus, to encounter Jesus then is to encounter the kingdom. And to be in Jesus' presence is to be in the presence of the kingdom. All right, so then Jesus has another really bold move. In the Gospel of Luke, he, he goes home for the weekend, you know, like, a, like a good college person on spring break. Jesus goes home for the weekend, or when he's at home. He's gone to Nazareth. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, this is, oh, here's the kid Jesus, we all know. He, um, I'm sure they said, oh, why don't you read from the scroll? You can read the scripture today in church. Right? So he um, came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He was a good, Jew, good Jewish boy. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written the spirit of the lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the lord's favor and he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Then all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What's the implication? With me, this scripture has been fulfilled it with me and my presence, I have been anointed to bring good news to the poor. 
and release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then they ran him out of town. <laughs> so, of course, this does come from Isaiah 61, 1. And this is just another translation. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. This is what Jesus was saying. This is what the kingdom looks like. When these things are happening, that's what the kingdom looks like. And the closest thing we have to this in Judaism is found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, so we see it in Isaiah, Jesus proclaims it, but then we see it again uh, in the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Messianic Apocalypse. We hear these words, um, and we know that the Dead Sea community are uh, living in, um, they're, they're living out, and they are just living in, in tight community, and they're looking forward to a future figure uh, from God who's going to do exactly what Jesus says he is called to do in Luke. And hear these words from there. From the heavens and the earth, for the heavens and the earth will listen to his anointed one. Kings are anointed, right? Kings are anointed, messiahs are anointed. For the heavens and the earth will listen to his anointed one. Freeing prisoners, giving sight to the blind, straightening out the twisted. That would be the lame. For he will heal the badly wounded and will make the dead live. He will proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus will repeatedly say that the kingdom is breaking into the world in his ministry and in his actions. And we see this in Matthew. where He's uh, cast out demons and he's been accused of casting out demons in the name of the devil. And he said, no, he's doing it by God's authority. And he says, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. So Jesus hopes that his disciples will perceive from all of this, those his, all of his followers, that the kingdom is present in him and in his ministry. And we see this again in Luke chapter 10. Then turning to the disciples, Jesus said to them privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see. That's what Jesus is doing. But they did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. So he's saying, you are, you're hearing what, uh, what people have been waiting for for centuries. And then in Matthew 12, the people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the proclamation of Jonah. And see, something greater than Jonah is here. Y'all remember Jonah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Jonah is this reluctant prophet. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh and just not even try to get them. Just tell the people of Nineveh, I'm going to be destroying them in about three days, you know, three days more, however many days more it is. In so many days, they're, I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. And Jonah's thinking in his mind, we're really great because you know what? The people of Nineveh live in Assyria. Nineveh is in Assyria, and the Assyrians have already attacked the northern kingdom of Israel, and they have wiped it off the face of the earth. And so I'm sure that Jonah's thinking, well, that's good news. That's really good. But God says, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them I'm going to do this. And he's like, I'm not going to go do that. I don't care what happens to the people of Nineveh. 
So he goes the other way, gets swallowed by the whale, gets spit out, and decides, well, maybe I should go to Nineveh. <laughs> so the, he's still a reluctant prophet. He goes to Nineveh, but since it's a three days journey across, he only walks in about one day and just says, okay, three more days and you're gone. And he walks out. He just says what he has to say and leaves. And it's interesting because the, the king of Nineveh, somehow it gets words to him. He uh, repents. He says, maybe if we repent, if we uh, become better people, if we turn to God, uh, if we fast and we pray that God will hear and perhaps we, we can be saved. So they do. They, they put on sackcloth and ashes. They put sackcloth and ashes on the cows. They, can you see? I mean, everything has sackcloth and ashes. And they repent. God hears. And he tells Jonah, he says, I changed my mind. And it really makes Jonah mad. Uh, and he says, but you can't do that. And he goes, yeah, I can. I, you know. And the whole story goes to show that really God is inclusive. God cares about everyone. And so what... What, what Jesus is saying here that, let's go back. The people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. The, the generation he's talking about in his time. Because they repented at the proclamation of Jonah. And see, something greater than Jonah is here. It's me. I'm here and people aren't noticing. And so the people of Nineveh will rise up and say, you weren't very bright. Something greater than Jonah is here. And the queen of the south, would be the queen of Sheba, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to listen to the wisdom of Solomon and see something greater than Solomon is here. And so in his ministry, in his teaching, in his healing, the disciples are seeing the kingdom of God breaking into the world. And Jesus says uh, as much to his disciples, uh, to the disciples of John. We see this in Matthew 11. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. For Jesus, the kingdom of God was not uh, escapist or dualistic. Uh, it didn't refer to this, just this heavenly state after death. The kingdom of God um, it, it wasn't another reality. It was profoundly disworldly. Uh, the kingdom of God is very socially and politically uh, real here and now. You know, our founder, uh, John Wesley, said there is no gospel but the social gospel, right? What we, the, the, the love of God should be so shed abroad in our hearts that it should be evident in our actions toward others that, that God is, is there, that the kingdom of God is in and with us. And so the kingdom of God was a social reality, and we see that in the Lord's Prayer that we, that we said and we heard today. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. This is a political statement. We have work, we have work to do, right? As, as our singer said this morning, we have work to do. And any, anybody announcing that the kingdom of God is among us was engaged in serious political action, and of course, that's part of what got Jesus in trouble. Uh, 
what Jesus taught about the kingdom, that the kingdom has arrived. It has arrived in the person and ministry of Jesus. And it is not otherworldly, but it is a dimension of the world that we live in right now on earth as it is in heaven. And it transforms the world that we live in. It's not only spiritual or personal, but it is profoundly social and lived out in our relationships. And of course, we see this a lot throughout Matthew. For instance, in Matthew 7, uh, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. We can say that can be interchangeable with kingdom of God. But only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And Matthew goes on to tell us what the will of the Father in heaven is. Uh, how many of you ever worship in the sanctuary? How many have been in there? When you go take communion, that's good, lots of folks. If you haven't, you need to take a field trip. When you go take <laughs> communion... At the communion roll, you go and you take communion, and then when you stand up and you turn around to walk away, you, have you noticed this beautiful wooden carving around the altar? It's a depiction of Matthew 25, 34 through 36. We, when we go to communion, we are fed and we turn, and this is what we are supposed to do in the world. We, we are nourished to go out into the world to be the kingdom, and this, this is. Then the king will say to those on his right, this is uh, talking about the judgment day, the day of the Lord. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the king prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, or I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you visited me. So the kingdom of God is not something, it, it's something that we engage in with Jesus Christ. Jesus brings the kingdom, but we align ourselves with it when we feed the hungry, clothe the naked, etc. It's not something that we bring, it's a gift from God. It only comes through God's grace, and it's where God reigns, where God's will is done, uh, where we open ourselves up to God to be used by God, the kingdom is present in and among us. Then and now, the kingdom was present in Jesus Christ, and it was present in his ministry and his teaching. And those who met Jesus, who interacted with him, who heard his teaching, had the opportunity to respond to and to enter into the kingdom. So the original ending of the Gospel of John adds one last little twist to this. That that power not only existed in the presence and the teaching of Jesus 2,000 years ago, but of course it continues in the teaching of Jesus today, and it's preserved in the Gospels for us. The teachings of Jesus have the same, hopefully the same power for us today that they did 2,000 years ago, and we see then what John says about this. This is the end of the Gospel of John. John says, now Jesus, after he's talking about all the things that Jesus did, all the signs and wonders and the teachings, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that would be anointed, which could be what well, kings are, kings are anointed, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. So, 
next week. We're going to talk about Jesus' teaching in the parables. And so we hope to see you here as we look through the windows and doors into the kingdom through the teaching.